The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Oh, we just sang about the wonder of you coming to dwell with us. You, God Almighty, God the Son coming to dwell with human beings. We thank you for that. We, we sing it, we, we say it, we are aware of it, and I pray that this morning that as we listen to this portion of your word that you would perhaps in a, a fresh way make us aware of an aspect of your presence with us that should change our experience of daily life. Your presence with us in love that casts out fear of you and of everything else. Your presence with us in love means that we can be unafraid of you because you're with us in love and we can be unafraid of anything else because you are with us in love. You've come to dwell with us and you abide in your people and I ask you show us that and cause us to rest in it and, and give thanks for it and walk in newness of life because of it. Spirit of God, will you, will you own this place this morning? Will you be here in the midst of us and then in each one of us giving us focus, giving us eyes to see spiritual truth and would you then press it into our hearts and give life? I'm sure most of us here, Lord, are your people. Perhaps some are not. For those here, Lord, who know you, would you be at work and cause us to, to give thanks for something again? And Lord, as this perhaps comes to some for the first time, would you save? Would you open eyes and would you draw people into your rest. Show your goodness and your glory and deliver people into joy. That's what we ask you to do this morning, Lord. Make Jesus great in our eyes. That would be great blessing to us, and so I ask you to do that this morning. By the power of your Spirit, lift up Jesus. For his glory and for our good, I ask it. Amen. Turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter 12, where we find Jesus teaching about worry, particularly worry about the provision of needs of life. All people are aware of the pressure to provide, and Jesus is going to address that pressure, that anxiety here in this passage, which, which naturally connects with the previous passage because it's about things and possessions, but kind of from a different angle. Recall last week, saw Jesus standing still, he is today still, standing in the middle of this large, diverse crowd, which includes some people who are inquisitive and some people who hate him and are hostile, and some people who are loyal followers. So it's, it's kind of a mix of people. And while he's there teaching them, someone from the crowd yells out a request to him, this is last week's passage, to help settle a dispute about an inheritance. And Jesus hears the request, and in it sees covetousness. 
He sees in it greed for possessions, maybe we might say materialism. He sees in it covetousness. And so he takes the opportunity to talk to the whole crowd. So he's not speaking only to disciples, he's speaking to everybody and warning us all alike to be on guard against trusting in possessions to find life. That's what he brings up. He calls us to watch for the belief in us that we can get life from what we can gather together with our own hands apart from God. We can gather things around us and and kind of pile up possessions and then think, okay, good, now I have the life that I've always been seeking. I have a life of rest and a life of ease, a life of pleasure, a life of comfort, a life of wholeness because of what I have accumulated. He says, no, that's not where life is found. Watch out for that. It's very tempting. It's common temptation for us, so be on guard against it. And instead, use what you've been given to make yourself rich towards God. So not just enrich oneself, but to become rich towards God. Talked about this last week, addressing the whole crowd. And then he comes to this week's passage, turning to address his disciples. So he's still on kind of the topic of possession, of things, slightly different angle. And it's important to see that the audience has switched. He's going kind of back and forth in this, in this larger section. You're talking to the crowd in general and then to his people. And it's important to see that because... What he says here is for Christians. There are some sweet and encouraging things here for Christians, for us who are his people, and only for us who are his people. So what if you're not? What if you're not one of his? What's here for you then? Well, what's here for you is kind of like a window and a door. There's a window in which you can look through Through the window, you can look into the house and you can see, here's a problem that is common to humanity. A worry that I deal with also, that we all deal with. And I can look into the house through this window and I can see inside there, there's the people of God with their God who has an answer to this, a solution. I don't out here, but they do in there. And then you'll notice that the door is open. Inside, there's... there's hope and the door's open you can come in you can't find it out here in the yard but you can come in so we're listening along here to find what does god say to christians that helps us with this anxiety this worry issue and then if you're not a christian come in and find it too so if i if i summarize all what jesus is saying here today in a, in a sentence here's how i'd put it here's my main point that i'm moving towards this morning spoken to christians Fear not, little flock, but instead trust the God who cares for you. Fear not, little flock, trust the God who cares for you. So we're going to look at this morning. Let me read the passage. This is chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. I'm going to read the whole part, though the last couple verses I'm going to save until next week. This is 12, 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Luke chapter 12. Make two observations, and here's the first one. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Your caring Father will provide for your needs. Do not be anxious. Your caring Father will provide for your needs. It's the obvious main exhortation from verse 22. Jesus reminding us of his authority. How he uses that phrase, I tell you. He kind of lines it up in front of things he really wants to press home to us. I tell you, do not be anxious. Then anxiety comes up again in verses 25 and 26. And then in verse 29, which is a a near restatement of verse 22, kind of like a a bookend parallel, he says, don't be worried. Verse 32, fear not. The theme throughout is clear. Do not be anxious. Do not reside in the state of fear or worry. Not meaning, I've got to say a couple things that he's not saying here before I'm Says what he is saying, not meaning don't feel the emotion of fear or worry. There, there is an emotion of fear and worry that just kind of pops up in us whenever we see something threatening, and that's, that's how we're made. It's actually a good and necessary thing. In fact, one of the problems with children is that they don't fear some things they should fear. They're not afraid of things that are dangerous. It's actually natural and good that the emotion pop up in us when faced with a threat. So he's not talking about don't feel the emotion of it. Nor, and this is a bit more complicated, nor is he addressing what, for lack of a better way of putting it, I will call biological or medical anxiety. Making up a little phrase there because I don't know exactly what to call it. Biological or medical anxiety. But as an example of what I'm getting at, I had a friend who while he was in college discovered that he had some sort of a problem with his adrenal gland. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what was going on exactly. Then several doctors in the audience might be thinking about this. He had some sort of a problem that eventually led him to, as he worked through this all, he, began, he concluded that, speaking of himself, I face all the same temptations for fear and anxiety and worry like everybody else does. And when that happens, that natural temptation is compounded 
by something going on in my body. It's compounded. So it gets harder because of some, I'll say, biological or medical situation. He adds in a bunch of adrenaline and fearful things get worse for him. And, as he then discovered, same way with one of his parents. There was evidently was some sort of a genetic thing here. I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to talk about medical things. I'm just trying to point out something I have to say here because for him and maybe for somebody here, it was, it was actually destructive. It was damaging for him to think only, to think about anxiety only as purely a spiritual thing. Only and always. Because he would listen to something like, if he was here today, like what I'm going to say, was we're going to walk through what Jesus says, and he's going to say, well, that doesn't, why don't I, I listen to that, I follow it, I, I, I embrace it, I want it, and something's not fixed in me. Does God not care about me? Am I a bad person, a bad Christian? What, what's wrong here? It was destructive for him to think of it only as a spiritual thing, and yet he also noticed it was equally destructive to think of it only as a biological medical thing. Because he reckoned that I have the same temptations to fear and worry that everybody else does. There is a spiritual component to it, too. So Jesus is not talking about don't feel the emotion. I mean, he's not talking about there's no such thing as any kind of medical biological component. But he is saying a problem common to people is to face a threatening thing, to feel the emotion, and then sit in it and be controlled by it, to abide in the state of anxiety. We all know what that feels like, what it's like to be fearful, to be in the state of afraid, and he says, do not be anxious. Specifically, about your basic needs. Now, much of what Jesus says here could apply to anxiety uh, across the board about anything in life, but it, this text is going in a particular direction. It's, it's applied towards the things of sustaining life, food and clothing. Verse 29, the, kind of the parallel verse, food and drink, basic needs. And he says, do not seek them. Do not be worried about them, verse 29. These should not be a source of worrying and anxiety, not what we seek after. Verse 30, for the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows you need them. Nations of the world. What he means in that context is not just people. Contextually, that's non-believing people. That, that time period, the nations are outsiders, people who are not of the people of God. What he means is non-believers are anxious and worried about the things of the world, and so they seek after them, not, not by getting jobs, but by chasing them in fear. Anxious, worried, because I need, I must. Don't live like that. That's how the nations live. You have a father who knows your needs. To the contrast there. We shouldn't seek after it to chase it in worry, but reckon that we have a Father who knows you need these things. 
Do you see where this goes right away? The call, the call about anxiety, don't be anxious, traces a path immediately to the fact of Father. You have a Father. Consider Him, what He's like. And Jesus points out to us what God is like. Don't be anxious about your needs. You do need basic physical things. Indeed, this is a physical embodied world. That's why God made it. God knows that. And consider how he deals with this physical embodied world. Consider the birds. Take ravens, for instance. There are ravens. There are birds. They eat. And they don't farm, and they don't save, but they eat. How? God feeds them, he says. God feeds them. And consider the lilies. They also don't work or strive or knit or sew, but they are clothed. And just like all the grass and the bushes and the trees, they are clothed and even decorated by God. They are clothed nicely, better than Solomon could manage to do for himself, God does for the common plants. Consider that and think about it. God takes care of his creation. God takes care of it providentially, powerfully, wisely, effectively, beautifully, sufficiently, consistently, quietly, often unseen, but generously. Always. For thousands of years. That's just the birds and the grass of how much more value are you? That's Jesus' rhetorical question, because you're supposed to think infinitely more valuable, of how much more value are you to your Father? He, he, he looks at you and he reckons you as a friend of Jesus. Remember the previous in Jesus, he has claimed you as his own. He is, you are a friend of his, and you are precious in his sight. He knows all the hairs in your head. He knows every little dent and dimple and, and dot. He knows you and treasures you and cares for you, calls you precious, far more than throwaway birds and burned-up grass. He feeds the birds. He clothes the grass. He will take care of you. Jesus calls our attention to the creation to do two things, to highlight the, the general, generous, creative goodness of God and then one-up all of that, you know, like gigantic one-up all of that. You compared to that, you are precious. He has you. He cares for you. He holds you. He'll feed you, provide for your needs. Consider that and then realize I'm precious to him in Christ. He sent Christ to redeem me from condemnation, to buy me back from the grave, 
to deliver me from the powers of darkness, to free me from the strong man's household? Will he now suddenly forget to feed me and overlook clothing? What kind of father does that? What kind of father does that? What kind of a human father forgets to feed his kids? And I'm not talking about like for lunch in the afternoon because that could happen. I'm talking about (laughs) regularly forgets to feed his kids. Forgets, just forgets. What kind of human father does not clothe his children? Well, a wicked one might not, but a decent common one never forgets and never overlooks that. You have a father who is far more than generally decent but is good and cares deeply for you. He looks on you. He has acted to deliver you and he looks on you as precious in his sight and he loves you with an everlasting love. O you of little faith. which is the basic problem here for us. We worry, though we know we shouldn't, though we know we don't want to because we hate its terrible living, and though we know the logic of verses 25 and 26, it doesn't do us any good anyway. But we worry still. And again, I'm not talking about anything from our natures or our biology. I'm not talking about the pop-up feeling of emotion. I'm saying that we abide in worry and anxiety. We all know what it's like to walk in not just, not only the the struggle of actually paying the bills. Sometimes we have that pressure of kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul to, to make it through this month. But even not in those situations, we all know the pressure of getting and keeping jobs and meeting monthly targets and quotas and performance criteria so as to make or to keep happy those whom we depend upon, bosses and clients. You kill yourself to get the account, and then you kill yourself to keep the account. Worried about it constantly. Working, working, working. The pressure, we're all familiar with that pressure, and we know the work helps, but the, the worry doesn't help. And I, I hate it, and I'm not supposed to, but I do anyway. I worry. We all know that struggle. So we have the command, don't be anxious, and we have the life of anxiety. We want to get rid of it, and it's very helpful then to notice Jesus tells us where it comes from. Oh, you of little faith. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Not of no faith, you're a Christian. Not not of no faith. But what you can know about yourself in the moment when you feel the anxiety going like, when you feel that, you can know right in that moment I don't have an anxiety problem. I have a faith problem. It should send you in a different direction. It should send you, I I see the command, don't be anxious. It resonates with what I want to be like, not anxious. But I don't address anxiety direct. I address faith. So what's going on here is I'm anxious because I don't believe I have a father who cares for me. Well, of course I do. Eh, Not really. Not really. 
So what he aims to do in us is destroy anxiety by building up faith. Faith, you recall from some weeks back, faith is, is it's the driver in the Christian life of all virtue. Faith. In this case, it's, it's what kills anxiety and then positively, as we'll see in the coming week, will free us to not just need to take but be able to give. Faith. So he, he wants to not so much kill anxiety as he wants to, to grow faith. And the Spirit's constant work in the life of the Christian to build faith is to present to you your God. Because if he presents to you your God and presents him in, in all of his, in all the breadth and the depth of who this God is, what you will get is not just an almighty one that I must fear, but you will get an almighty one who is for me and upon whom I can depend. You will get an almighty one upon whom I can depend and who is strongly inclined to do me good because he loves me deeply. If we actually believed the one who is God loved me deeply and knew everything that I needed, I would rest. I would rest. That's what I, you need to consider this God, the way that he is in general, the way that he is for you in particular, and to have him displayed in front of you, to look back and say, how has he delivered to me in my need before? Well, he has put me in Christ. And then every day since then, has he not? He has met your needs. He has cared for you and provided for you. He has developed a consistent track record. And the Spirit of God's work in your life is to lift up this God in front of you so as to drive out doubt about him. In other words, to assure you that you are his and he is yours. So Christian, believe it, you are his and he is yours. He is yours in an attitude of steadfast love and care. He is the omnipotent one who is all wise and will provide for your daily bread. He is trustworthy. You have a father who cares for you, don't fear. As I say that, I kind of I want to say, please write that down and put it on the shelf. Some of you need that right now, but maybe not all of us right now. But what, what's going to happen sometime three weeks from now, after the holidays when your company lets you go, is something that, to which this completely applies. Now I get it. Now I need that. So write it down and hold on to it. A father who is mighty and who cares for you and will meet your needs, fear not. You've got to hold on to that because you might not need it right now, but you will need that. It is a common problem to us all. But right as I talk about, I'm kind of on a, a hinge right here as I'm talking about God and drawing near to God and God lifted up in front of us as we see him. 
I'm kind of on a hinge of moving into the second point because this isn't by itself the only solution to anxiety. It's a big piece of it. How God grows faith. Little faith is kind of the undercurrent beneath anxiety, but something else we got to talk about leads to the second observation. Here's the second observation. Seek the kingdom instead of daily bread because that's where your true life is found. Seek the kingdom instead of daily bread because that is where your true life is found. As I say the word instead of, you, you hear, you sense the redirect that I'm going to kind of do here, turn our attention because that's in the text. To make it a little clear, let me kind of change the situation to a different type of anxiety because I think it's a little more, a little easier to see. So imagine that I'm a single man anxious about getting married. So still on the same issue of anxiety, but I'm changing the scenario here. Imagine I'm a single man anxious about getting married. Worried that I'm never going to get married. Fearful that I'm never going to find the woman for me. And I'm anxious as the months on the calendar tick by, and I'm constantly looking, and I'm constantly thinking, and every, t- every social interaction I kind of wonder, is she the one? Every date I go on, I'm tense, wondering if, and then crushed when not. My, my, my emotion of worry lives right on the surface as... I hear the clock ticking and I fear and I worry and I want, God, will you provide a wife for me? What, what's going on here? What's the problem here? And the first point says, fear not. You have a father who cares for you. You can trust him. He will provide what you need. So your problem here, Steve, is, is little faith. You're taking all of this this marriage thing into your own hands and, and you're not actually leaning on him and counting on him. Fear not. Okay. But what's the second thing somebody should say to me? Marriage ain't life. That's a huge piece of this. That example. I'm anxious and worried and anxious and worried and anxious and worried and anxious and worried One piece, fear not, but the second piece, life does not consist of marriage. Sure, 90% of people get married. Yeah, okay, life has a lot of marriage in it. But life's not equal to marriage. Life's more than marriage. And part of your anxiety is coming from chasing the wrong thing, of seeking the wrong thing, which now begins to sound kind of like this passage. Verse 22, back at the beginning. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on for, verse 23, life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Life is about more than you yourself are about more than these things. 
That's why you shouldn't seek him and chase him. There's more out there. That's not where life is actually found. Some of our anxiety, some of our tension and worry is found from, but we think we need this. We, we are afraid when we are threatened, when something that we think we must have for life is threatened. That's where fear comes from. And part of Jesus' answer here is, that's not where life is found. Are you kidding me? I need to eat. So do my kids. Are you kidding me? No, 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 not, not that it's not important. Your father knows you need those things. That's the end of verse 30. Yeah, you need that. Your father knows you need it. Uh-huh, yes. But in our knowing I need this, it is very easy for that to become the thing that controls our focus, the thing that drives us, the thing for which we live, the thing we must have. And he has just told us in back-to-back passages, no, life is not found in the abundance of your possessions. Jesus said that, verse 19. Nor is life found in the minimum of your possessions. We are prone to chase possessions, to chase stuff. We are strongly inclined towards that. And he's now warned us on both ends. No, it's not there. You need that. You need some bare minimum? Of course, yes. Your father knows what you need. And in fact, probably, I can't speak for you, but I probably need a lot less than I think I need. I actually keep on my, my bulletin board in my study, I keep a little picture of people meeting in a church in Pakistan, and they're in a room half the size of this stage, seated on the floor, Knee to knee to knee to knee to knee on a, a plain floor, no furniture in the room. There's the church. And we need better lighting. Need better lighting. Now, again, reference last week. We live in America. It's a different world here. I totally, completely get that. But I keep that picture there to remind me need might not be what I think it is. But I, because of how my heart works, I think I need, and I'm going to chase to try to get, I need that for life. Your father knows what you need. He can be trusted. That's the first point. Your father knows what you need, and he can be trusted. We still get educations. We still apply for jobs. We still work hard. Yes, but we're not chasing after in fear the things that we need. Our job is to chase after, to seek instead the kingdom. Verse 31, instead seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. It gives you what you need. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Yes. Seek his kingdom. Seek him. Seek presence with him beneath his reign in union with him, communing with him, seek that, the kingdom, which incidentally would build your faith and cause you to rest as he provides for your need. Seek the kingdom. Seek it in fear. Seek it chasing it, hoping, 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 maybe I can find it. If that's what I actually need, if that's where life is found, I have to chase it and hope that I can... No, 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 no. Blessing to you, Christian, 
the next verse. Blessing to you, Christian. Verse 32, a very famous verse. Verse 32 is as if Jesus in half a dozen ways is trying to say, blessing to you, Christian. Blessing to you, Christian. Blessing to you, Christian. Seek the kingdom. That's where life is found. And good news to you. Hear the precious words of verse 32. Nearly every phrase here speaks of God's tender care for us. Fear not, little flock. And here, like officially, formally, if you just read the words, it looks like it's a parallel command. Don't be anxious, fear not. This is like a parent with a little flock. This is like a parent with a tender child. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Formally, that's a command, right? Don't be, do not be afraid. Tone-wise, attitude-wise, it's very different. It's assuring, reassuring. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, little flock. He's speaking to his disciples. Right there is a Pharisee thinking, how do I kill this guy? Literally. There are a thousand people packed around who shortly will be yelling, how do we kill these people? Literally. And here he's got a little group of followers amidst the wolves. Fear not, little flock. We're pretty vulnerable right here. Uh huh. But no. Yeah, we are a little flock, sheep among wolves, and not that many of us. Fear not, little flock, because you have a father. Not even the father, your father. Your father, and he has something that he's really happy to do for you. It is his good pleasure. It is not his obligation. He doesn't have to. He's not just fulfilling a contract. He's not even just dispensing random gifts. He is happy, eager, thrilled, delighted, well-pleased. Here's a father, your father, who is going to very happily give to bestow upon you something free, to give to you the kingdom, what you need for life. This is what he has first done in sending his son. That's why he sent his son, to give to you the kingdom. It is all of his freedom. He did not need to do that, but he did it in freedom. And he sent the one who had everything and gave it up, all of it, who with his own hands made provision and could have sustained his life by himself, but instead surrendered it all. Why? So that he could promise to give you the kingdom, and along with the kingdom, every little thing you need for physical life today and tomorrow and until the end. 
This is a father, your father, who is well pleased to pour out on you everything you need for life and what you need to live. Fear not, little flock. May the Spirit of God draw us on to see this God who is radically for you. I can't express it in English how much your father loves you. All that he can say, all Paul can say is, with a wide and long and high and deep love, that's how much he loves you. There's no boundary to it. He is for you. And Christian, because he is for you, he means to give you everything that you need. And nothing thwarts his will. And he is well pleased. He is well pleased to make you child of his, to make you heir of the kingdom. This is what it's like to live in the house, to live on the inside, in the household of God, communing with him personally, face to face, under his right reign, promised for eternity, riches that you'll never count. And if you stay on the outside looking in, come in and be freed from anxiety. That's a God who can be trusted, who gives you a life you can live in at rest because he reigns and because he is a God of love and because he is a God who is passionately committed to his people. Would you be one of them? Come in. Surrender to him, trust him, and walk in the door and become a Christian. And find rest for your soul. Jesus says, take his yoke upon. Take his yoke. Bind yourself to him. Surrender control of your life to him. Trust him. And you will find that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Walk through life yoked at rest. That's what he gives to us, Christian. That's what he gives to us. And that is good. Here's a God who calls us to seek the kingdom where life is found and then says, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. Come. We are a blessed people. Not because of the food and the clothes and the shelter that we have. We are a blessed people because God has seen fit to give us the kingdom and along with that, the things that we need. Yes. And we need them. Yes, trust Him. But thank God that He gave us the kingdom. His near and personal reign. Rest with Him. Let me pray. Father, help us to consider this and to fear not. Help us to see in it your goodness, your passion, and your power for us. You have been about and still are about something that's a lot bigger than we usually think. We are a people prone to be drawn to the horizontal and, tr- and prone to look at, at today's need and 
and the checkbook balance and to wonder and even to worry. We're prone that direction. So Father, will you please lift up our eyes and show us the kingdom and draw us into the experience of that kingdom, to draw us into the experience of you and away from focus on fearful things and away from fear of fearful things. We need you to do this, so I ask you to do it, please. Father, as we now celebrate communion and we take these elements in our hands, as we're doing that, Lord, maybe there are some particular people here that you need to speak to and to assure them and to call them to you, so please do that. Don't, don't let their minds slip away. Don't let them be drawn off, but continue to meet with us in our particular need. You know who we are and you know where we are. So as the, the, the great hound of heaven, as someone once said, will you chase us down, chase us all the way to the end and conquer us for good. Lord, help. Make us a people who are freed from fear. It is a terrible life. We hate it. So free us from it and empower us to live in trusting, restful joy. Thank you for giving us the kingdom and remind us of it as we look at the cup and the bread. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.